Corner Fringe Ministries presents a message on the leadership of Moses and how selfless he really was. Daniel Joseph sheds light on how Moses was indeed a great leader. Enjoy. But uh, I was reading the Torah about uh, a month ago, and I came across a passage that I had read many times before. But what's so fascinating about this passage is that every time I read it, it's as though it's one of those passages that, that you've read it for the first time. It's so powerful, it's so influential, it completely takes you back as though it's the first time you've read it. Well, it's a passage that actually reveals the remarkable character of the man Moses. And today we're going to study Moses' behavior. We're going to study how he responded to specific situations. You know, if you want to become someone great for God, if you want to do great things, for the kingdom of heaven, for the name of Yeshua, you're going to want to pay very close attention to this message today. Because the things that we are going to read about today, the things that Moses possessed, you will have to have them. If in fact you want to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. If in fact you want to be a true spiritual leader. In the 24th chapter of Exodus, we find that God, he, he calls Moses to draw near. Come up to me, Moses, and, and receive the law, the commandments. So Moses arises with his assistant, Joshua, and they go. Now, it's no secret, uh, as many of you already know, that while Israel perceived Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they began to play the harlot, right? They made a, a god of gold. They were not only made that god, but they, now they were worshiping that god of gold and sacrificing to it. In other words, they were given the glory that only belonged to the god of Israel to a god of gold now. And this is where we're going to pick up our story. Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf, worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Wow. So here, the Lord tells Moses, get away from me, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy this people, and more than that, I'm going to take of you and make of you a great nation. Think about this for a second. The Lord is willing to bless Moses with not just any blessing, the blessing of blessings, to make him someone great, to make of him a great nation. Now, before I show you how he responds to the Lord's incredible offer, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of how Israel has interacted with Moses. See, there's some history here that needs to be noted. History that took place between the children of Israel and, and Moshe. We're going to go all the way back to Exodus 5. And what we're going to see is Moses and Aaron, they present themselves before Pharaoh at the behest of the Lord God. And the Lord instructed them to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses and Aaron present themselves before Pharaoh. And they say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. 
And Pharaoh's response is, uh, I don't know your God, uh, neither will I let your people go. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to increase the bondage and the burden of these people because apparently they're idle. Now listen to how the people of Israel respond to this, okay? After Pharaoh increases their bondage, their suffering. Exodus 5.20, Then as they came down out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, Moses, this is completely your fault. You are to blame. You are our problem. So from the very get-go, we see that this wasn't exactly the healthiest relationship. And as we get to Exodus 14, Israel, after seeing the wrath of God being poured out on the Egyptians, they're standing at the Red Sea, hasn't been parted, and then they look behind them, they see the Egyptians quickly pressing in upon them, and they panic. Look at what they do. Exodus 14, 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So what's the Lord do? He parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel cross through the Red Sea safely, they actually see their enemies destroyed before their eyes. And we don't even come to the next chapter, chapter 15, and then we come to the waters of Marah and listen to what they say. Exodus 15, 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? It doesn't stop here. We go a couple chapters farther. They come to Rephidim. Exodus 17, 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set on a journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was a, no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The point of showing you all this is that there's some history here that took place, some dialogue between the children of Israel and Moses that wasn't necessarily positive in nature. Moses had been through a lot, I would say, with the children of Israel. Over and over again, we hear them complaining, blaming him. For the things that they suffer. You know, one would think by this time Moses would simply be at the end of his rope. Especially now, when we see the Lord actually saying these following words in verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Not only was the Lord willing to take care of Moses' problem here, these pesky complaints, incessant complaining and contending with him, He's willing to take that all away, but he was also willing to give him a blessing of blessings to make of him a great nation. So, how does Moses respond to this? Let's look at this man of God. Exodus 32, verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Hands down, this is one of the most amazing responses you will ever find in the scriptures where there's a dialogue between man and God. Here we find Moses, even after the God of heaven and earth, willingly offered to bless him with a blessing like no other. How does he respond? He rejects the blessing from God. Who does that? And why does he do it? Why does Moses reject the blessing that God was willing to give him? Very simple. He was concerned with something completely different. His priorities were set on something else. His eyes had been set on something else, focused. Moses' number one priority was to protect and glorify the name of God. Number one. And he does it without hesitation, without any thought whatsoever for himself. He didn't even consider what was proposed. He simply doesn't want to give the Egyptians any reason whatsoever to think or profess that God only brought the children of Israel out of Egypt for the sake of killing them. Now let me ask you something. If you were in this position, would you have done what Moses did? And let's put this into context. The children of Israel that were numbered, that came out of Israel, were 600, over 600,000 men who were age 20 and above, men of war. You take into account the women and the children and the mixed multitude, you are conservatively looking at over a million people. Now, in context, you, there's a million people who cannot stand the sight of you. And over and over and over again, all they do is complain against you. And then all of a sudden you have this miraculous event where you get to go up and see God face to face. And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of that problem for you. I know what they're doing and how they're disobeying me. And I'm going to give you a blessing on top of it because I'm going to make you a great nation. How many of you would have said, thank you, Lord? I mean, really. Thank you, Lord. I've been dealing with this million people plus, and they're driving me crazy. They make me insane. I don't want to deal with that anymore. And yes, if you're willing to give me a blessing, you are God. I am going to take it. I mean, think about, think about this for a second. It's hard for me to get my arms wrapped around that because we're learning something here. If you want to be someone great for God, if you want to be a true leader, these are the decisions that you're going to have to make. You're going to have to suppress every iota of your flesh, and you can only think in the Spirit. Listen to how Moses continues to plead with the Lord in verse 13. Remember, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Thank goodness Moses was the leader then. And maybe not some of us. Moses selflessly intercedes on behalf of the children of Israel. And the Lord hears him. 
He relents from destroying his people. Now, as the story continues, Moses, he goes down with the tablets of the testimony. Remember, he's speaking with God. He comes down from the mountain. Now, Joshua is still with him. And him and Joshua are approaching the camp, and Joshua, he hears something. And he, and he says to Moses, it sounds like there's noise of war in the camp. Moses assesses the situation. He's listening. It doesn't sound like the noise of victory. It doesn't sound like the noise of defeat. It sounds like the noise of singing, I hear. Now, as Moses and Joshua, they, they come into the camp, they see the children of Israel dancing and singing, but in the midst of them is a golden calf that they had made, and they were worshiping it. What do you think Moses did? His anger becomes hot. He has the tablets. It said that he drops them on the ground, throws them on the ground, casts them down, breaks the tablets, right? He actually takes the golden idol, grinds that thing into powder, throws the dust of it into the water, makes the people drink it. And what's said is this event, because of what they did, 3,000 children of Israel died that day. And they didn't just die anyway. They died by the hand of their brothers. So this is, now we'll jump into verse 30. This is what happens. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Who talks like this? This is crazy. What an awesome leader. Is it any wonder the Lord chose him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? The man not for a breath, not even a blink, stops for even a moment to think about himself. His concern is only for God and his fellow man. Even despite how Israel behaved and how they treated him, he without hesitation, he goes back up to the mountain to plead with the Lord on their behalf. You know, this is amazing because the teachings of Yeshua, these beautiful spiritual teachings that we see, we talked about it last week, Matthew 22, where the lawyer comes and says, which is the great commandment in the law? And Yeshua's response is, shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law. You're literally seeing Moses walk this out. He's walking out his faith. He is walking in the spirit. Amen? Just look at the, the, the integrity of this man. Look at verse 32 here. It says, yet now, this is Moses speaking, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Moses was willing to put his life on the line for his brethren to the point that he was willing to be blotted out of the book of life for their sake. Have any of you ever interceded on someone this way? Have these words ever come out of your mouth? I can tell you, I'm not exalting myself here, they've never come out of my mouth. But when I read the Torah, I see a different man that is supposed to be living inside me, inside you. It's an amazing example of true leadership. Where I can make a statement, Lord, cut me out of the book of life if you will not forgive my friends, my family, my enemies, who persecute me. If we want to be great leaders, we are going to have to get this heart 
If we want to be great leaders, we're going to have to look out for the well-being of others. Despite these individuals driving us crazy. Amen? It's interesting that we find the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 say the exact same thing. The Apostle Paul was a, a great spiritual leader for the kingdom of heaven. And great things were done through him because of his nature, because of how he decided to walk. Romans 9 verse 1, he says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. What an awesome example of a godly leader. A true spiritual leader is one who is a vessel of honor, useful for the master. If we want God to do incredible things through us by his spirit, the things we only read about in the scriptures, we are going to need to behave like these men, like Moses, like the Apostle Paul. Now getting back to Moses, as we fast forward, we're going to fast forward a little bit into the book of Numbers. And we're going to find we come to the time that they're going to spy out the land. And according to the Lord, he, he commands them, send out 12 spies, one from each tribe, and have them go spy out the land. Well, the spies return. And what's interesting is 10 of those spies give a bad report to the children of Israel. Listen to how Israel responds to this bad report. Numbers 14.1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Okay, so let me get this straight. After all that Moses went through here, and interceding on their behalf, Sparing their lives, right? It appears we've literally come back to square one. We see they continue to complain against God and Moses to the point they're so fed up with him, they're so sick and tired of him, that they're going to replace him as a leader. They're going to leave him, and they're going to go back to Egypt. Now at this point, Scripture actually states that the two men who did give a good report, Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothes and they ran around and pleaded with the people, do not rebel against God. Don't do it. And certainly don't fear the people of the land, though you're grasshoppers in their sight. And this is what is said after, this is how Israel responds to them pleading with them. This is Joshua and Caleb. They make sense, right? They're working on behalf of God. This is the response, verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? Pay attention, verse 12. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a, great, a nation greater and mightier than they. Does this sound familiar? Have we heard this before? This is the second time. God willingly offers to take away these pesky complaints. And not just that, but to give Moses a blessing 
of all blessings to make of him a great nation. How does Moses respond? Verse 13, And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you have brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. Verse 15. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land, which he swore to give them. Therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken. You know, passing the test one time, the first time, was amazing enough for me. But to do it a second time, that really takes integrity. That takes a man that is not intact with his flesh at all. He knows nothing of the flesh. This man lives in the spirit. Moses doesn't for a moment here consider the blessing which God himself was willing to give. He rejects the blessing that he may protect the name of his God, lest that name should be blasphemed among the nations. Moses didn't want the nations running around. His only care and concern, he doesn't want the nations running around saying that God couldn't bring Israel into the land because he was too weak. Moses made it his very purpose in life to put God first. Nothing took precedence over that. Number one priority was to lift up and glorify the name of Yeshua, of Yahweh. A true spiritual leader cares nothing for himself. We have to empty ourselves, right? You have to completely empty yourselves that all praise and honor can be given uh, to God and God alone. Listen to how Moses goes on to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel and plead a true intercessor, a spiritual leader. He says in verse 19, Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Over and over and over again, I see the example of an awesome spiritual leader. Moses' thoughts, his actions here, his entire mindset was geared to bring glory to God and to protect his fellow man, to intercede on their behalf. If we want to be great, if we want to do great things, you're going to have to remove all the flesh from your temple. You're going to have to embrace the Spirit of God we must change our mindset completely from focusing all on ourselves, all the pretty lights that the world has for us, all the wonderful things. We have to redirect that focus completely, and our eyes can only be on Yeshua, because only then could you make decisions that Moses made. You are not going to make these decisions unless you are completely saturated. Your eyes are affixed on Yeshua. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans, chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to get that. Something needs to be done, okay? You need to renew your mind completely, spiritually renew your mind. Why? Paul tells us that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You will walk it out. You will prove it 
But that can only happen if you've been spiritually renewed. Your mind's been completely flipped upside down. Moses' mind was completely renewed. It did not operate in the flesh for a millisecond. He didn't even breathe in the flesh. He was completely spiritually orientated. Moses did not give a thought, a care for this age, for this world. His actions and behavior clearly show that he was focused on the world to come, as though he was already living there. Every decision that he made was spiritual. He was spiritually minded. Look at what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. If we want to be great leaders, this is the mindset we have to have. We have to be affixed in the life to come. There is nothing here for us. And everything that is here is going to burn. Amen? We've got to put others before ourselves. As Moses did. What a great example of a spiritual leader. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Everything that the world sells us and distracts us with. Telling us we need those things. So we busy ourselves about those things. We need more money. Well, why do I need more money? Because I need more things. I need more money to buy more things. And when I find out these things don't make happy, I need more things. It's just a continuum. It never ends. And this is what the world's going to do. You know, in closing, let me say this, just briefly. Whatever is preventing you in your life from giving your life completely over to Yeshua, to where there's a renewing of your mind, all that you care for is the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Whatever is preventing you, you need to leave it here today. Because what's the scripture say? Today, if you will hear his voice. That is the message. You know, it's so amazing. I talk to a lot of believers. And what I find troubling to me is they all have different levels of faith. And this is not to say everyone's on a journey and everyone's growing. And it's not to say that everyone's at a different pace in their faith or a different maturity level. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I see people that are willing to believe in the Lord and to give their lives up to a point. And then all of a sudden we come to a point that something that they will not let go of, they will not sacrifice in their life. They cling to it so tightly, they end up divorcing themselves from the very one who bought them. And they don't even realize it. Whatever is in your life that is preventing you from living, giving everything to him, you have to let it go. If you truly believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, and you believe that he died and rose again, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. Amen? So if you, if you guys want more prayer as we do this last song, come up. Darren and I will pray for you. Amen?
Jesus, keep 